0: Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community.
1: I'm your host, Ken Gagne. This week on Polygamer...
0: Seek help from your allies and really try to communicate to your friends who aren't these vocal people that their silence actually kind of adds to the problem. Even if, like, they support you and they agree with you, like... We can't just have, like, one person speaking out for every 200. We need everyone to just synchronize and chime in.
1: That's Lillian Chen, a.k.a. Milk Tea, a semi-retired professional competitive video game player or esports player specializing in Super Smash Bros. Melee for the Nintendo GameCube. Lillian is a talented web designer and developer who, as part of her career, worked for three years with TED, the company responsible for TED Talks, TED being technology, entertainment, and design. This past spring Ted released the video of Lillian's This past spring Ted released the video of Lillian's Ted Ed talk that she gave in late 2014. Ted Ed being an education-based initiative to get young people ages 8 to 18 to share their ideas with peers and others by giving a Ted-like presentation on a topic they're passionate about. Thank you Wikipedia. Lillian's talk, a link to which is in the show notes for this podcast episode, was entitled How I Responded to Sexism in Gaming with Empathy. In the 7-minute video, Lillian talks about her experience being one of the few women in esports, especially in the Smash Brothers community, what she loves about gaming and how it helped her break out of her shell in high school, and also how she internalized some of the misogyny that she encountered and initially and inadvertently contributed to that environment. This video was brought to my attention by my friend Carol, who I met at PAX East 2015 as she was cosplaying as Dana Scully from The X-Files. We sat together in the audience of a panel that featured Eliza Melendez, who I then recruited to be on a previous episode of Polygamer. I didn't realize that the person I sat next to would lead me to yet another guest for this podcast. So a huge thanks to Carol for thinking of me when she saw this video and pointing me in this direction, and thus connecting me with Lillian. I highly recommend you check out Lillian's TED Talk, but whether or not you have listened to it or whether or not you're a Smash Brothers gamer, I am not, or you're an eSports gamer, I am not, I think you'll love this episode. Lillian was great to talk to because she represents an oft-overlooked approach to dealing with misogyny, which is empathy. Yes, we have lots of reasons to get angry, and anger can be powerful and just, but it rarely wins over hearts. And Lillian's empathy makes her very approachable and very easy to talk with and listen to, as I hope you'll hear in this episode. If you want to find out more about Lillian, you can find her on Twitter at underscore Lilchen, that's L-I-L-C-H-E-N. You can also find her website at lilchen.com. If you'd like to find more episodes of this podcast, you can find them at polygamer.net, where you can also send us an email or a voicemail to be played on a future episode, find us on Twitter at GameBits, or leave a review in iTunes, which would help us a lot. So thanks so much for listening to Polygamer, and now it's on to the show. Today, I'm very honored to be joined by the semi-retired competitive Smash Brothers gamer known as Milk Tea when she's on stage and Lillian Chen to her friends. Hi, Lillian.
0: Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for coming
1: on the show. So I want to talk to you first about the competitive gaming scene. You made your fame in the Smash Brothers arena, specifically the GameCube version, correct?
0: Yes, Melee.
1: And what was it about Melee that attracted you? Because I can go to a local arcade, which we still have here in Boston, and there is just an entire row of fighting games from Capcom. And uh, there, there are just so many, like Street Fighter, X-Men, Marvel superheroes, DC. What was it about Smash Bros. specifically, above all the others, that drew you to that platform?
0: I've definitely dabbled in a little bit of 2D fighters that are more traditional, like Soul Calibur, Mortal Kombat... I've probably played some of the Capcom games at an arcade. But I always felt that there was like a sense of rigidity in them. For example, like shifting and moving, it kind of like alters the the perspective of the plane, right? When you're mashing L or R and you can only jump so far and move left or right. Um, A lot of the combos are kind of like set in place and you have to remember them. Whereas when I played Melee and or 64, there's just this freedom to my character I could run off the stage, I could run into a wall, I could do whatever I wanted my character to do, and I just can't get over the incredible fluidity that I've found in Melee.
1: Was it being a four-player game, did that have anything to do with it, as opposed to the more traditional two-player?
0: Um, Yes and no. It's interesting that you bring that up. I think in terms of gameplay, uh, two versus four player don't really bother me, but I do think there is um, a really big social aspect to Melee because it can't be played online. That can be said about other fighting games, too. But
1: And yet some people consider the offline focus of Nintendo platforms and their essential failure to capitalize on the trend toward online gaming to be a weakness. Do you consider it to be a strength that they focus more on the social, in-person couch aspect?
0: Hmm. I don't know if I have a strong opinion on this. I think it would be really great if we also had online Nintendo games, but I guess just in specific to melee, because that's kind of the way things just ended up, I would consider it a pro. But I think if one day melee were to be able to be play online like flawlessly without any type of lag, I think the community would be thrilled to see that as well, you know?
1: right, right. So you started achieving some success and some fame in the Smash Brothers community when you were still in high school. And you mentioned in your TED-Ed talk that you were being flown around the country for competitive game events while still in high school. That must have been quite the lifestyle. I mean, being in high school is hard enough without being flown from Connecticut to Las Vegas.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: how, did you, how did you handle such disruption to an otherwise normal teenage life?
0: I really loved it because I think I also mentioned this in my talk, but um, I was often made fun of and bullied at school. I don't know if it's because I was raised in a very, um, not very diverse environment in a small town in Connecticut. So... Starting since third grade, I had been teased because of the way my face was shaped or the way my eyes were, how I dressed, um, because I was Asian and it got old. It got really old quickly. So finding the Smash community, like all these people with, who shared similar interests to me because, you know, nerd culture typically uh, tends to have more than one overlapping interest I just, it was an escape for me. I loved it. So to me, going to tournaments was almost like going to, like, a, another world temporarily. And it took a lot of convincing to get my mom to let me attend these events.
1: What were her concerns?
0: Uh, well, I was raised in a very, like, um, a very conservative Chinese family. Uh, for starters, they were a little confused as to why their daughter granddaughter was constantly hanging around boys and <laughs> not doing things that were perceived as more feminine. But uh, they were just worried, you know, having your young daughter go out to a tournament in another state when it's all boys is a little, you know, uh, concerning. But I told my mom that nothing would happen. And luckily for me, nothing did.
1: You talk about how it being mostly boys, and yet in your TED Ed talk you said, in another way, the Smash community is incredibly diverse. How did you mean that?
0: Ah, so um, what's really crazy about Smash is you meet people that you would have never met before and I mean that in the sense that you know when you go into a high school you walk into a lunchroom you see all these different social circles right you have the nerds you have those stereotypical uh, like the music kids the drama kids I don't know how distinguished these cliques are these days but that was how things were when I was growing up smash kind of removes those barriers people that you would never expect to even interact with talk to each other and our buddies thanks to a video game it's kind of insane And in addition to that, the Europe scene is very active now, so Europeans will constantly uh, fly in, the Japanese will also fly in, and we get to see a little bit of, like, their culture too that they bring over with them.
1: So a lot more than you would normally encounter in a small town in Connecticut. (laughs) Definitely. And how did this community react to you or treat you? I mean, on one hand, you fit right in because you were a competitive Smash Brother and quite a, a gamer and quite a good one, but on the other hand... As you mentioned, you were one of the very few women in the community.
0: Uh, when I first joined the community, I started playing as a result of my friends. But soon after I joined, I also coincidentally started dating one of the um, top players, and which helped boost my visibility. That wasn't like something I planned out. That wasn't my intent when I was dating him, but it's just a, a byproduct. And so I was kind of constantly being like, just called or accused of like, Only being in the community to try to date powerful players or um, being called an attention whore is something I still hear to this day. Being slut-shamed because of who I dated, uh, constant uh, criticism over what I wore to tournaments. Yeah, even now I still hear a lot of these uh, accusations floating around and it's pretty consistent, but they've subsided so much since back in the day.
1: Being slut shame, being called an attention whore. I assume that the guy you were dating received no such remarks.
0: Uh, no. Uh, none of the players I've ever dated in Smash have um, had these issues.
1: I have not participated myself in the competitive gaming scene, and even if I had, I, uh, you know, as John Oliver said on his show the other day, there are certainly. uh If you have a particular anatomical part that's of a certain color, then you're immune to a lot of the harassment that people receive, especially in the gaming community. And it just baffles me that it's so imbalanced like that. I mean, at this point, especially after Gamergate, I'm not necessarily surprised, but it's still just so strange to me that people have this cognitive dissonance where they can treat one set of players one way and not the exact same other set of players the same way.
0: Yeah, it is very much um, a double standard, I think, in our community. Um, I don't know if it's still this way. It probably is because you see this trend in society too, right, where men usually get high-fived for um, dating more women, whereas if women try to do it, we get slush aimed.
1: Right, exactly. And that's, not, and that's not exclusive to the gaming community, unfortunately.
0: Unfortunately not.
1: <laughs> you said that over time... You felt that some of these sexist, disrespectful behaviors became internalized and you started perpetuating them or even other women would start to perpetuate them. How does that manifest itself over time? I, mean, I assume this is not a conscious decision.
0: No, definitely not. I think um, what, w- what would happen is that, like, uh, you know, having felt excluded from my uh, school and then finding this community who I thought welcomed me with open arms, just... My first instinct, you know, is to try to blend in, to fit in. So if the culture is very, let's call it bro, very bro culture, I want to adapt to that so that I can feel like I'm a part of the environment. And as a result, I just had behaviors that were like, you know, being condescending or viewing women who were more girly or like, you know, have stereotypically more feminine aspects about them as like somehow not as cool as if you were a tomboy. I typically refer to this as uh, trying to be one of the bros, and you see it a lot, a lot in a, from women in gaming communities. They just they just really... It's like they, they almost feel like um, they're different somehow, and it makes them better.
1: So this was an attempt to stop the harassment in a way. If people were accusing you of being an attention whore for what you were wearing, then if you just changed your apparel maybe they'd stop harassing you. It was almost a form of victim blaming.
0: Uh, no, I wouldn't say that either. I don't, I never budged my apparel, despite what anyone said. I continued rocking whatever I wanted to rock. Little jean skirts, tank tops, it did not matter to me. I just thought that was like the concerns They were very frivolous and I ignored them. But even so, I still adapt, like adopted these mindsets of like, oh, girly girls are bad.
1: So it was, in a way, an attempt to fit into the to the Smash community.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like when you, you grow up, right, in um, environments, and even if there are wrong, I don't know, relatively wrong behaviors, you can't see that for yourself because you're surrounded and you're immersed.
1: Right, it's very hard to get outside your own head and get some perspective.
0: Yeah, it didn't help that when I joined at the time, maybe in 2007, 2005, or six, I found that these communities, they tended to pit women against each other, it was almost as if there was like this expectation to have like one ideal female gamer. And so everything would be constantly compared between the few of us, like who's hotter? Uh, Who's the better player? Oh, is that girl like sluttier? Oh, this one, this one is girlfriend material. And the unfortunate thing is when you're immersed in an environment, you almost buy into that. And I think as a young teenager, I bought into it, and so did the other women, and we were just at each other's throats. Luckily, like we've grown up, and I think we see that now, and we are totally fine, but it was unfortunate what it did to us when we were maybe 17.
1: I've never witnessed that, but I think I've heard of that, where I don't know if it's a form of tokenism, but if there is only one woman in a male-dominated community, and another woman arrives on the scene then they almost feel like their position as the sole woman is threatened. Would would you say that that is something that happens in the Smash community?
0: Happened in the past? I would say that sounds pretty accurate, yeah.
1: There was a previous guest on this show who suggested that, at least in her own experience as a professional in the gaming industry, that a lot of the sexism that she had encountered came not from other men, but perhaps from other women, who saw her as a competitor. And I'm sorry to hear that that is true in the gaming community as well. I mean, if when you first said that women were being pitted against each other, I sincerely thought and hoped you meant like they were going head-to-head in Smash.
0: <laughs>
1: and and that would be legit, I would think, because that's what Smash is all about. But unfortunately, you mean that the competition was being taken
0: offline. Yes, basically. Both sometimes in Smash, uh, usually away from Smash, <laughs>
1: You wrote in your blog post and in your TED Ed speech that this was the way of things up until you, you were receiving some harassment both online and offline, and the comment that made your inner wallflower spontaneously combust was when somebody said, in general, we're very accepting of females. <laughs> Why was that the comment that moved you to action?
0: So I guess uh, there's a little backstory here. I wasn't very, the most vocal person when I was younger. I was always very honest, but... I didn't really ever voice my concerns and the years of frustration I had felt in my position in the community had clearly built up. It was getting to a point where like, you know, the passive aggression inside of you starts to leak out because you just can't contain it anymore. And I would just like, I would be that person who would make little passive aggressive comments towards smash players, you know? constantly on Facebook and the community was quite small at the time. So my friends who are smash players would see it. And eventually like one of them reached out to another one of my close friends and was just like, why, what's Lil's issue? Like, why is she so angry and why does she hate smash players? I really don't get her problem. And so even then I didn't speak up. And so when I finally like saw this comment where it was, it wasn't even just a question. It was just like a flat out, in my opinion, incorrect status quo statement I snapped and I felt like my friends need to know and that was actually the premise of my first post it wasn't to like try to get attention online it was just like I owe my friends an explanation as to why I have been so angry like around that time Evo was having um, a donation drive the community that donated the most money to to fund breast cancer research would have their game pulled into the event and the Smash community came out on top with so much uh, money. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but everybody was cheering and I was not. I was the one that was brooding in the corner because, again, I hadn't really told anybody why I was just so angry and like harboring this resent. So it was finally when I saw that comment, it just like burst out of me.
1: So you saw that comment as a denial of your experiences? Almost, yeah. Because on the surface, I mean, this was a comment coming from somebody who honestly believed that the Smash community is positive and encouraging and diverse and accepting, and those are all good things, and if that was all true, then this would be a great comment to receive. It would be somebody speaking up in defense of a community that you love so much, and yet it had just the opposite effect on you.
0: It. Well, I don't know if there's so much denying my experiences, because I think... I should have said something earlier, you know, instead of just letting this anger stew inside of me. But I think I hear this often. And it that person, by the way, is my friend. And we've talked long through it since. But even these days, I hear people being like, I don't understand what Milk Tea is talking about. Why is she complaining? Community is awesome. And it's absolutely without a doubt that the community has improved so much since when I was 17. So much. There are so many women that are very integral to the scene these days, and they are awesome, and they don't really get the kind of things that I did back then, you know? But it still irks me when you when I hear a guy who is not a woman <laughs> uh, talking as if, like, like, trivializing our or their experiences based on their perception.
1: And sometimes it's all these subtle sort of microaggressions. The remark was, in general, we're very accepting of females, And a friend of mine who was formerly on this show, Sabriel, she wasn't referring to this comment specifically, but one piece of advice she once gave me was that whenever possible, you should use the word women instead of females. And the way she helped me remember this was, if it sounds like something a Ferengi would say, you're probably doing it wrong. (laughs) And of course, Ferengi have very low opinions of
0: females. I've actually heard that concern, but I actually don't really act upon it much like, I don't vocally uh, argue for it or point out that that should be the case within gaming communities because I think things happen, you know, in steps. And I think there's a lot of other things to be worked on before we kind of tackle that one, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said that the community has gotten so much better. And one of the ways it's done so is through diversity and representation. There are a lot more women in the community. But a large part of that improvement has to come from the other genders in the community as well, and making sure that everybody is being welcoming and accepting. Have you seen any improvement from the way women are being treated?
0: I would think, of course, like, you know, there's always that, right now, there's that. There's going to be that small group that's just in denial that there are ever even problems. But in general, like, I've received a lot of feedback that's like, hey, Melty, I read your post and, you know, I realized I was actually perpetuating a lot of these behaviors. And your posts like enlightened me to that. And I've started like reconsidering the way I act as a result. And like, that's the best thing somebody like me could hear. Cause I'm not really here to preach to the exact, to the choir, you know, that doesn't really elicit change. So I think there, there are people who have messaged me and been like, actually, when I was in California, somebody stopped me at a tournament, was like, Hey, milk tea, I really like love your post. And you know what? The other day I saw. A woman at our tournament and I totally asked her if she wanted to join our Captain Falcon round robin tournament and she did. Like that's great. That's awesome.
1: That is very cool, but I, I may have the term wrong, but I think there's a something called like benevolent sexism where women get special attention or treatment because of their gender and it's the guy trying to be nice or protective or defensive, but it's still different treatment based on her gender and that isn't necessarily a good thing can you give any advice for walking that fine line of being accepting and welcoming and helpful without being benevolently sexist
0: there's like two fine lines right in that realm we have benevolent sexism right but then you also have affirmative action those two it's very careful it's 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 tricky to distinguish between the two and then on top of those two you also have um something like a, a quote I had read a long time ago online that's never really left me. And it was basically kind of like, you know, the first step towards equality is recognizing that men and women are different. Right? It's it's incorrect. When I usually write things, I always say treat both genders with the same amount of respect. As much as possible, I tend to avoid saying treat them the exact same. Because we don't treat each other the same. Like if you're a heterosexual Man, you're probably going to treat a a woman differently than you would a man. And that's normal. But I think the key here is just establishing that the levels of respect need to be the same. Like it's normal to have slightly different social dynamics between different genders. I would say that benevolent sexism stems from almost like um, this accidental attitude that you, you might, this belief that you think that women aren't capable of the things that guys are. And the trickiest part is a lot of people who are, like, um, who perpetuate uh, benevolent sexism, they mean well, you know? Like, so I've encountered this numerous times in tournaments where I will enter, and the guy I'm playing against will sandbag, which is a term in Smash that means not try their hardest. And I never understood why, understood why they did that, considering, like, I dated one of the top players. Um, this opponent of mine trying their best probably wouldn't even come close to... The practice I constantly got. Do you know what I mean? And so to me that's very condescending even though they mean well. You should just try your hardest against your opponent regardless of their gender. But I think affirmative action is a little different where you're like trying to promote inclusivity because there isn't – say there isn't enough women in the community and you're trying to welcome them. But you're not doing it in a way that is condescending or assuming they're lesser.
1: So by that definition is affirmative action a good thing?
0: I would say affirmative action is a good thing but – it's tricky to define.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that we have so many fine lines here. What's one more? I think there's a fine line between affirmative action and tokenism. Yes. And people need to be careful about that. Tokenism is having somebody there for only because you feel the need to show off a diversity. Or a It's kind of like when you put together a panel for PAX and then you suddenly realize, oh, we don't have any women on this panel. Let's get one so we can show people that, oh, look, we have women on our panel. Yeah, that's not. That's not necessarily the best reason to have somebody on your panel.
0: Yeah, I've uh, I've heard of that in a lot in the tech industry. I don't know if Smash has even like gotten to a point where they're like considering tokenism or they care about it at all. To me, what I've felt is like organically, we've just increased in the number of women. Thankfully,
1: <laughs> is there enough of a ruling body in the Smash community that they could even? enact anything like affirmative action if necessary or is it as you said just organic
0: we are a little scattered right now yes so i don't know if we'd be able to do that i've been mulling over ideas in my head and thinking about possibly one day collaborating with like a like a big force within the scene to try to put forth forms of affirmative action but that's a long story for another day
1: (laughs) so how do you encourage women to join this community
0: so something I always tell people is kind of like or something rather I get asked often is, hey, what's the best way to do this? What's the what do you think is the best way? And I'm like, there isn't a best way, actually. Like these things aren't defined in stone. Actually, We just have to keep trying and seeing what works. And there doesn't there is definitely not only one way. And it's, it's like this common misconception. I see people think there's one thing you can do. And so back to the pitting each other against each other thing. Um, I get a lot of comments like, hey, Milk Tea, why don't you be more like this girl? She like kicks butt in tournament. Like that's the way to do it. And I'm like, I don't have to be more like her. And she doesn't have to be more like me. Both of us are participating in our our own way. We fulfill different roles and we inspire differently. And that's fine. There isn't a one cure all solution.
1: I want to go back a bit. You defined the practice of sandbagging for me, which is great because I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Why would anybody in a competitive gaming community ever do that regardless of who they're up against? It seems contrary to the whole reason they're there, which is to win.
0: I don't know. I just like I feel like they want to go easy on them just because they think they won't be able to handle it or in friendlies, which is what we call like non-competitive matches, just playing They just want to come off as nice, maybe. I think maybe just they're scared of hurting other opponents' feelings. I don't don't know if that's their way of flirting. I don't know. You bring up a really good point.
1: (laughs) Because it's just so bizarre to me. I mean, uh, maybe I'm just sufficiently insecure in my own gaming skills that I would take any opportunity I can get to demonstrate that I am better than somebody else. And so if I was up against somebody, whether it was somebody I was interested in or somebody who was the opposite gender, I would still do my best. And if I sandbagged and let that person win and that person knew I was sandbagging, which I suspect a good player would be able to identify, then that's just embarrassing for everybody. That's not flirting. That's just embarrassing.
0: Yeah. I think it, sometimes it can stem just from like a, you know, a good heart. They just want to let the other person down easy, but I've made it pretty clear from my stance, I think that's really not the way to go about it. And I've also received feedback like, hey, I used to do this. Thanks for calling this out. I'm going to try to like stop this type of behavior.
1: We've talked about how to get more women into the community and why representation matters. But a lot of people who deny that this is an issue, such as your friend who made the comment that we are very accepting of females, they may be saying that because they don't see the value in addressing the problem because they don't think there is a problem. On Twitter, Jason Blake asked you, when you're behind a controller, the game does not care what race, gender, sexuality you are. So why should gamers? And so th- th- I pose that question to you as well.
0: I wouldn't say my friend meant that. I think he genuinely just thought that
1: And thank you for clarifying that. I certainly don't mean to put words in anybody's mouth. I apologize if I have.
0: Yeah, no worries. It just um if immediately knee jerk reaction it can seem like they're that, you know, he or gamers are just being mean. But not always the case from what I've noticed. But uh, with the Jason Blake quote, I think, uh, idealistically, race, gender, sexuality should not matter when you're behind the controller. But, I mean, like I said earlier, this quote I found, the first step of understanding each other is realizing that we, that we there are differences between all of us, you know? Between men, between women, so forth. It's, it's not... It's only obvious that like, you know, if you see a lot of top women gamers, they're likely to inspire other women gamers, you know? As much as we would it'd be great to just tear gender and all that stuff from the equation, they're very prevalent and it's it's not something you can just block out.
1: Gender does matter in the gaming community for better or for worse, and as we've discussed, women receive a very different treatment from how men do. And the and one representative of the traditional gaming community community. One representative of the traditional fighting game community, Eris Bactanian, I hope I'm getting that right, said that you can't eliminate sexual harassment from Street Fighter. His quote was, if you remove that from the fighting game community, it's not the fighting game community. It's StarCraft. Lil, you and I don't need to discuss how absolutely false that is, but what I'm curious is, why do you think that belief is so ingrained in some gamers, that this just goes hand in glove that you can't have one with the, out the other where does that idea
0: come from i think um you know when you're like i said earlier when you're just raised in this very niche environment with like these types of beliefs you you really grow up to believe that this is how things work and this is the way things are and that's that and that's kind of the end of the line for a lot of people's beliefs and since you know when we were all younger, games were more targeted towards men for the most part. It was kind of like an all-boys club. I think it's just kind of like this refusal to see past the status quo. And it's actually one of my biggest pet peeves, is like when people really don't understand the concept of progress and moving forward, it's almost like they have this barrier blocking them from seeing into the future just kind of like they, they can't understand the world as it is now in any other way, shape, or form.
1: What is so threatening about the possibility of eliminating sexual harassment from the competitive gaming community? What do gamers like Eris think they would lose if you eliminate that?
0: I can't speak for him, but I can... And I i can't really even speak for all gamers. I can, like, put forth a couple of theories. But I think, like... um. A lot of gamers, myself included, we kind of end up in these communities because we feel a little excluded from quote-unquote regular society. So we find these communities to bond, and from my experience in Smash, that happens to be the case. When it seems like there might be something threatening the very current status of our community, it might be perceived as a threat. I'm not sure just kind of like you retreat to this, your paradise, right? And then all of a sudden there's this, this quote unquote drama regarding social justice. It just might be cumbersome to them.
1: And you're touching upon a topic that I have been wanting to do an entire episode of this podcast about, which is gatekeeping, which seems very short-sighted to me. And that the idea that you want to keep the community who's enjoying your favorite form of entertainment limited. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is bizarre to me because when I read a novel that I love, I recommend it to my friends. Like when I write my review on Goodreads, the first thing Goodreads asks me is, which of your friends do you want to recommend this to? I want to become an evangelist for the things that I'm passionate about, whether it's video games or Contra dancing or Apple II computers or John Scalzi novels. <laughs> and so it was actually through Scalzi that I first encountered the idea of gatekeeping where he wrote a blog post saying, if you're telling people not to read my book, then you are hurting me and you're discouraging me from writing more of the books that you enjoy. And if you want the smash community to grow then, and not only grow, but be sustainable and thrive, then that requires bringing in new people at the very least to replace those that you lose naturally through attrition. So this whole concept of gatekeeping of threatening people to the point that they don't want to participate, or don't even want to join the community in the first place, it just strikes me as very, very short-sighted and sad.
0: Hmm. See, I'm, I'm not so sure if it's like, I understand what you mean by gatekeeping, and I think your parallel makes total sense, but I think it's slightly different for our gaming communities. I think it's not so much they don't want other people to, to enjoy their passion, but it it becomes a major inconvenience when they have to change anything that they perceive as normal to help cater to newer audiences, if that makes sense. So like if you were to recommend a book to all your friends, you wouldn't really have to change your behavior. But if we're trying to be more inclusive, we have to kind of, you know, tweak our vocabulary, tweak our behaviors. You're asking somebody who's, who's been a member of the club for years to, to alter their paradise, to, to bring more people in. That's my theory.
1: No, that's a very important distinction and you're right that my analogy was flawed. When I recommend a book to friends, reading remains a solitary act. It's not like I'm changing the composition of a book club that I go to. If my, you know, if the book club was supposed to be just me and my three friends and all of a sudden these seven other people I've never met just invite themselves into our book club, you're right. I probably would find that threatening, and again, that's probably another flawed metaphor, but it helps me to empathize with the situation a bit better.
0: Yeah, I actually I see the gatekeeping phenomenon happen with a lot of uh, more smaller subcultures. Probably because you know I tend to I did deviate away from what you might call mainstream interests when I was younger, and I feel like a lot of gamers might feel similarly. But there's just, like, this this strand of hipsterness (laughs) to the whole cool, unique subcultures thing. When things start to grow mainstream, you almost, like, automatically take issue with it, and you don't like how things change.
1: And I can appreciate that. For example, when I was a kid, I got made fun of and beaten up for playing video games, and now the video game industry has expanded to cater not only to me, it still does that, but also to the people who used to make fun of me—they're the ones now playing John Madden football every year.
0: Correct. You that know. is, yeah, that's—you nailed it.
1: Right. I mean, Penny Arcade had a comic strip about that 10, 15 years ago, about just how unfair it was that video games used to be ours, and you don't get to play them because you used to make fun of me for it. But and and I understand that protectiveness, that territorialness. But the bigger picture is more people are playing video games. There are more kinds of video games. These are good things.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: Last summer, the International Esports Foundation proposed separate men-only and women-only Hearthstone competitions. And I think, I can't be sure, I, I haven't interviewed them, but I think their philosophy was that they want esports to be taken as seriously as traditional physical athletic sports. And those sports are segregated by men and women. So, was this well intended on their part, do you think, or was it just a complete disaster?
0: um if you're talking about the one in Finland, is this the one? Yes, it was a disaster, and the entire internet even made that pretty <laughs> clear. They reversed their decision quite quickly, and uh, I agree because it's just this was a horrible, horrible idea. It gets really tricky to explain this to other people because um i'm kind of a, i'm temporary I am currently a proponent of all women's tournaments which will probably lead to the question of so why aren't you okay with all men's tournaments so to answer i'm assuming do do you mind if i answer that
1: (laughs) if you hadn't answered it i was going to ask it so go for it
0: great um right now as far as i'm concerned there's no like biological evidence as to like like that would require genders to be segregated in esports like there is with physical sports you know I haven't personally I haven't gone to look for it but I also haven't been seen or read about any studies that show that women are somehow inferior or less capable when it comes to gaming and women's tournaments are only there as a form of affirmative action to kind of get more women involved. They're not there because the tournament organizer at least I hope they aren't um, thinks that they're inferior at the game and so that answers the question of like so how come there aren't men's only tournaments because there isn't a need for affirmative action. There are already tons of men who play video games. So the affirmative action is just a temporary solution to promote equality. Even though it's like, but then you're not treating them equal. It's because they aren't equal right now.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Huh. What What about if we had men's competitions, women's competitions, and mixed competitions? Would that be the best of both worlds, offering all possible configurations?
0: I don't think so. I think the best possible world would be to be would be to have a mixed uh, gendered competition with a bunch of both gender. But that's that's what uh, all lady tournaments hopefully I think should aim for is having that feed back into the main tournament where it's a diverse group of people.
1: Because women who are coming into this community anew and are encountering just mixed communities may find that threatening because as we've experienced and identified men treat women differently in this community. So being able to participate surrounded by just other women, they may have a more welcoming experience. And once they've established that baseline, then they can branch out to other genders.
0: That's what I would like to hope. I think it it needs to be tested to see what works and what doesn't. And the way I kind of break this down in layman's terms to other people is just um, from what I've seen A lot of women that are involved in gaming are kind of like me. We're very tomboyish, and we're completely comfortable being in a room of guys. It doesn't even phase us. So often I notice that the biggest anti-all-lady tournaments are the ladies that are already a part of the gaming scene. And I think what people fail to consider is um, that not all women are like us. And I came to this realization one day when I went out with a bunch of friends to dinner and I got to the dinner a little later and it was a bunch of guys and one girl and when I arrived she whispered to me oh my god thank god you're here Lil like I didn't want to be the only girl here and it was such like an eye-opening moment to realize you know wow other girls are just not comfortable being the only girl in the room like I am and so it's not about catering to the current women in gaming like the current women are gaming are fine as it is. That's why we've stuck it through, and that's why we're still around. It's getting the women who wouldn't normally be spotted within 10 feet of a gaming arena to come join us.
1: So you were never in that other woman's position where you looked around and said, oh my god, I'm the only woman here, I wish there was another one?
0: Very rarely. For the most part, I'm okay with being with guys, and this kind of stems to our earlier topic, because I became one of the bros, or I tried to, to adopt and to fit in.
1: I'm just curious, I apologize if this is a tangent, but do you have siblings?
0: I have one sibling. He's a younger brother.
1: Okay, so you grew up with men in the household then?
0: Uh, yes, he's the one who probably got me into gaming.
1: Oh, excellent. Fascinating. You once said in an episode of a YouTube show called The Smash Brothers, this is episode 7, The Robot, you said gaming got to where it is today because of its hardcore competitive audience. Could you elaborate on why you feel that's to be the case?
0: Yeah, totally. So I think when I made that statement, I specifically had um, competitive gaming in mind. I think in the competitive scene, you know, the thirst and the desire to become number one and to come out on top has really pushed um, the industry to to a new level. I mean, just look at the growth of esports in just the last few years alone.
1: What about the uh, Smash Brothers for the Wii U that just came out less than a year ago at the time of this recording?
0: The Smash Brothers Wii U game? I personally, again, I, I'm still like, knee-deep in Melee, but I haven't played it, but I've seen tons of people, tons of my friends in the community. I see them constantly talking about patch updates, characters, um, uh, different techniques, and it seems like this game is game, like getting a lot of traction and um, is more well-accepted than Brawl, but I don't know if that's because of the game or because the Smash community's initial reaction to Brawl.
1: We've talked a lot about the challenges that are in the gaming community, in the competitive gaming community, especially as far as gender disparity goes. And we talked about what you like specifically about Smash Brothers and what you don't like about various iterations of the franchise. What is it that you like, and maybe I should have started this conversation an hour ago with this question, what is it that you like about the competitive gaming community? What is it that draws you to this and makes you fly across the country and dedicate so much of your time, energy, and passion not just to improving equality and representation in the community, but just enjoying the community for what it is and the activity and the pastime. Why is this your passion?
0: It's been eight years and all of my friends are so deeply rooted in the community. And like, it's a community that's small enough where like everyone can interact. It's kind of growing to a point where we're not getting, we're not there anymore, but it's just like all my friends and I, we all, we can make what we, we can kind of sculpts our future and it's crazy you know we actually play an integral role in this world and that's why I would be passionate I'm so passionate about the the gender thing because I really think I, I could possibly make a difference here you know and I, I think the Smash community is very receptive and could be receptive to that idea like going to tournaments for me it's just going to it's flying out to a giant venue with all of my long old friends all in one spot. It's amazing. And like even though I haven't competed in a while, I've never actually stopped going to these tournaments. Every year I'll buy tickets to go out just so I can see my friends. And it's it's I thought about it and it's kinda like when uh when you start working and you go to conferences and the faces grow more and more familiar. It's the same thing.
1: That's a really great metaphor. I'm going to a conference in a few weeks in Kansas City and these are people I only see once a year but I've been doing this for 18 years in a row and I can't imagine not going because it's a community and I'm a part of it. Exactly. Even if it is mostly white men. (laughs) As you mentioned, you identify as a semi-retired competitive gamer. What was it that prompted you to semi-retire from competitive gaming?
0: I went to college and my design career became number one on my priority list. And uh, unlike... A lot of other classes, design classes are three hours per class instead of 45 minutes or an hour. And it just destroyed my schedule, my free time. And even now, I am struggling between juggling gaming and design. It's a constant tug of war.
1: I can appreciate that. I teach a college course that meets for four hours, 6 to 10 p.m. once a week. And uh, it can be exhausting. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So one of the things that you did to improve equality in gaming this was just about a year ago at nyu you hosted a panel called the new meta is that correct
0: yes that was awesome
1: (laughs) tell me a little bit about it was this part of a larger convention
0: um no you know one day i went to um nyu was hosting this event about esports and my friends and i stopped by and every time they mentioned smash we cheered really loud from the audience because we're obnoxious like that after it ended, the professor came down, and he actually had recognized my face from the documentary. And we got to talking about gender issues, and thus the new meta was born. And we roped in um, Seltzer, we roped in Persia, and we roped in Hafu. Three very different but large esports personalities to come and like uh, talk about these topics.
1: I'm sorry, you said the professor recognized you from the documentary. Which documentary?
0: Ah, um, it's called The Smash Brothers, and it was created by Travis...
1: Oh, okay. That's the one I was just quoting a moment ago. The part seven of nine on YouTube you appeared in. Yes. Uh, At least the part where I quoted you. Uh, That reminds me, a brief aside, you hosted last night on Twitch a smash documentary marathon?
0: Yeah. It was a seven-hour long stream.
1: So that's why you were emailing me at 4 a.m.,
0: Yes, plus the fact that I'm a little nocturnal right now, but yes.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, you poor person. Uh, How many documentaries are there about Smash? I mean, obviously at least seven hours worth, but up until your tweet yesterday, I wasn't aware that there were any.
0: This one is the most major one. I would say that Travis kind of like saved our community. We, We went through a dark age. Basically, as a result, our community, Melee, the scene was kind of dying down at that point. Not a lot of popularity, like, not a lot of hype at events. And then this documentary came out. And, like, there's articles online that claim that it single-handedly, like, revitalized the scene.
1: Wow, that is... Very often documentaries are about a revitalization that the documentarian is observing. That's what happened with Going Cardboard by Lorian Green. And now she's working on a documentary about the resurgence and popularity of pinball. But this documentary that you're describing actually reverses that cause and effect. It instigated the resurgence. It played a much more active role as opposed to just being a passive observer like many documentarians are.
0: Absolutely. I think what Travis did really well is that he capitalized and really showcased every player's personality. And I think that's what draws people towards Melee, is that all of our players, all of our top players, have very distinct personas. And it's, it's a very social scene, given the nature of how we have to play in person. And um, I think the growth kind of thrives on this.
1: Excellent. Wow. Uh, there will be a link to that documentary in the show notes for this episode of, the, of Polygamer. Uh, let me pop the stack here. That was a tangent. Going back to the new meta, you hosted that panel, and it was pretty well received. Have there been any long-term repercussions? Like, has anything come of that panel? Um,
0: what do you mean by repercussions?
1: Well, for example, a year and a half ago at PAX East, I hosted a panel about sexism in the gaming industry, and it was so well-received that I realized it was a bigger discussion than, con- than could be contained in just one hour with five people at one convention. And so I launched this podcast to continue the discussion and cover a much broader swath of topics. Like, what has happened as a result of you hosting the new meta that would not have happened had you not held that panel?
0: Ah, well for starters, I got to befriend Hafu Seltzer and um and Persia. And these these are very active people within the competitive gaming sphere. And it was awesome. And like meeting them has further led to other other opportunities. Like um I was also asked to be an advisor of a game developers conference's um esports summit. It was a brand new summit, and you know they had seen the new meta and a bunch of other work I had done. I think like uh, that it just snowballed, you know, and you start to meet people, and it's not even about making connections; it's just about making friends that care about the same things you do.
1: Right, that's very true. I mean, the people who were on my PAX East panel, I've become maybe not necessarily great friends that we keep in touch, but I know that they are someone who I can count on professionally. Uh, If I'm in their neighborhood or I'm at a convention, one of us needs to be on each other's panel. Uh, Tifa Robles, founder of the Lady Planeswalker Society, a Magic the Gathering group, she was on my panel. Never would have met her beforehand, and she has just been such an ardent supporter of this podcast, and I'm so fortunate to have had that opportunity to work with her.
0: That's so rad. It
1: is, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to continue these conversations. What about the new meta? Was that just a one-time thing, or do you think this will continue with like the new meta 2.0 at some other convention?
0: I think every time I've noticed that I host panels, um, we kind of rerun over the whole awareness facet of um, talking about gender and gaming. And I think like with all the media coverage in the last year, like we've... We're slowly heading out of the awareness phase, you know, I think it's it's time to move on to action, you know, Uh, and what is that action? I have no idea. I have a few hypotheses, but we don't know what it is. And if the new meta two were to happen, it would be pretty dramatically different. Charles, who is a professor at the NYU Game Center, who I worked with on this, he has expressed interest in like further working together. On, like, new events and whatnot. But I've been just, my life's been crazy, so I haven't had a chance to tackle it.
1: Have you seen the documentary GTFO?
0: Oh, I heard about it, but I didn't see the screening.
1: Well, it's fortunately now it's online. You can download it from Vimeo or iTunes. You can purchase it for your favorite video game console. It's a pretty good documentary. The director was on this podcast just last month. Oh. Yeah, and it was great to meet her. And uh, for those of us who are in the gaming community, as you said, this may be preaching to the choir, but the movie does a pretty good top-down view of what exactly it is that's happening in this community and why, and they do look at the competitive gaming scene a little bit. Uh, not Smash specifically, but I think that is perhaps where I became aware of some of the issues that you and I are now talking about.
0: Huh, interesting. I'll have to put that on my to-do list.
1: Your very long to-do list with that copious free time you have.
0: Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> in your TED-Ed talk, you said, when you're given a voice, you need to use it, and you need to use it responsibly. I'm curious about the first half of that statement, when you're given a voice. Who gives somebody a voice?
0: So that's an interesting question. I think sometimes your, your voice, right, can be, it's a self-paved path. You kind of helped, you grew yourself, and you grew your voice. But other times, it's just based on luck, based on random circumstances, based on unfair circumstances, I think um, in my scenario, right, because of the really big gender uh, gap, I got more attention. Like, is that fair? I don't really think so. I mean, I just that was just the nature of how things were when I joined the community. And like, as time passed, I also happened to like, put forth work that garnered my voice more attention. And so it gets to a point where like, I have... Almost, you almost feel like you have a responsibility to do something with it. That's kind of what I meant by that quote. It's just like, you have to, if you are very visible, it would be awesome if you could leverage that, you know?
1: Right. And I think you did that when your wallflower combusted and you wrote that, I think it was a Tumblr post that got picked up by a lot of news sites. But at the same time, even though they picked it up and amplified your voice, you still had a voice even before anybody listened you had some very poignant and important things to say, and you expressed that, and that, I think, is not something somebody gave you. That was an initiative that you took, and we're all much better off for the fact that you did.
0: Yeah, I think think if I hadn't said those things, I would feel really guilty. Like, I could have easily just taken that voice I got and run with it and just not done anything with it, aside from just, I don't know, continuous streaming. But I would feel guilty, I think.
1: And yet, by speaking up, you exposed yourself, and in this current milieu that we're in, that's not always a safe or easy thing to do. And so, one of my closing questions for you comes from my friend, Lorian Green, who asks, what advice do you have for other women who may be afraid to stand up and thus stand out in this gaming community?
0: Somebody has to do it. I think that's my advice. Somebody has to do it. And it's not always the most idealistic position to be in but I've I've seen Brianna Wu also tweet similar sentiments it's just if nobody talks about it it'll never get talked about
1: but it can be very hard for somebody to accept that somebody may have to do it and that somebody is me it's much easier to just sit on the sidelines and wait for somebody else to do it because we've seen what happens especially in the last year to people who speak out especially to women who speak out Mm -hmm. that has silenced some people and for those who have said, I can't deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. I need to step away. I need to be quiet. I can't blame them because we need their voices and I wish they hadn't stepped away, but they need to watch out for themselves.
0: I absolutely don't blame them. And I've also been in similar situations where I'm terrified that I have to be silenced because if I just grow enough publicity, um, I will be in the positions that those women were in last year. I would say seek help from your allies, and really try to communicate to your friends who aren't these vocal people that their silence actually kind of adds to the problem. Even if like they support you and they agree with you, like we can't just have like one person speaking out for every 200. We need everyone to just synchronize and chime in.
1: Yeah, it's hard to do, but it's important. I hope that other people can follow your example because you've been such an ardent voice and supporter of people that you haven't even met and we're all very appreciative of it
0: thanks i appreciate that
1: <laughs> so you're semi-retired do you see yourself ever fully retiring do you think i hope this isn't the case but do you think smash will ever be in your past instead of your present
0: no i don't think so yeah. i don't know if i'll ever i don't know if i, I will ever be able to go back to competing but this is, I can't leave my friends behind. They make up like, my Smash friends make up like 50%, if not more, of my friends in my life. So.
1: Oh, wonderful. Because I know you do have some new hobbies. You recently tweeted that you are now bouldering.
0: Oh, yes. That's something I always tell my stream viewers to do because, you know. As a designer and a gamer, my lifestyle is not very active. I'm just kind of like sitting in front of a monitor most of the time. And, you know, routine exercise, going to the gym, the environment is not really my cup of tea. And routines get boring. But rock climbing is just like, it's almost a game in a way. You're kind of like solving these puzzles on the wall. But you're using your body physically to do it. And uh, from what I've noticed, the gym is just filled with nerds. And I love it. Just total nerds. Like I've actually gone to the gym, and people have come up to me and have been like, "Hey, are you milk tea?" Really? From this this di-? yes, it's happened twice now. That's awesome. <laughs> so good.
1: That's fascinating. I mean, uh, my friend Annie boulders and rock climbs, and had told me about it, but I had never gone myself until my friend Lexi invited me, and it was fascinating. Like you said, puzzle solving. I'm standing there trying to plot my path up the wall, looking at which colors various footholds and handholds are and I'm like oh, can i go from here to there and it's really challenging and granted i can use any foothold i want if i just ignore the color <laughs> but it's kind of like cheating at solitaire i mean there is no winner
0: yeah and it, there's such a cute little community around it like i've been in a spot where like i can't get and solve a certain climb and so i'll i'll stand back and stare at it with this frustrated face on and somebody will see and they'll come over and without even speaking to me they'll do it and you can tell like they're kind of trying to show you their approach it's very it's cool it's nice and it's so
1: different from video games i mean depending on what kind of game you're playing your body can really get into it but not to the degree that rock climbing can it's it's much more physical than gaming is
0: yes but it's so it's so fun like i never ever Ever thought that I would say that about any type of physical activity. I've like never been the biggest exerciser, but rock climbing is genuinely one of the more fun things I've done.
1: Right, you know, it's just a matter of finding the right kind of exercise. I would go to gyms and I would never find anything I would enjoy doing, but then about 8 years ago I discovered cycling and now I can go for like 80 miles at a time and it's just a blast.
0: Do you still climb?
1: I've only gone climbing the one time it was on a guest pass. I I definitely want to try it again. There are some things that I'll try it once and I'll say, I will never do that again. And that includes whitewater rafting and horseback riding. (laughs) But rock climbing, there was nothing about it I hated and there was a lot to like. I don't think I understand the appeal. It wasn't as obvious to me as it may have been to you or to my friend Lexi, but it was appealing enough that I need to try it again.
0: That's awesome to hear.
1: Yeah, I like trying new things. Anyway, well, thank you so much, Lil. This has been wonderful. We have covered so much ground. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about?
0: No, Um, I think that was, that was a cool interview, just kind of organically going back and forth, um, covering the bases here and there. And it, it was kind of nice talking to someone who's not so cemented and smashed, you know? It helps me kind of like look and get a broader perspective on things.
1: Yeah, and one of the goals for this podcast is for me to just learn about all the things I don't know because there's a lot more I don't know than there is that I do. And so I appreciate people who are willing to take the time and share their perspective. So people who are interested in learning more about you can visit your website, which is what now?
0: It is lilchen.com, L-I-L-C-H-E-N.com.
1: And you're also on Twitter at, is it underscore lilchen? Yes. Great. And they can also see you at Evo, which is occurring July 17th to the 19th in Las Vegas. Will you be competing or just attending?
0: I will be just attending. It'll be my little mini vacation.
1: When you go to conventions, do you like have a a booth or a table where you sign autographs?
0: no 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 it's smash i don't think has gotten to that point we kind of just i'm just with my friends and sometimes people will come up and ask for a photo and an autograph but i think that's just the extent of it
1: well i confess that if we should ever happen to cross paths whether it's in las vegas or right here in our own native new england i'm probably gonna ask for your autograph i hope that's okay
0: absolutely and only if we take a selfie
1: oh totes that'd be totes. (laughs) well thank you so much i have had such a blast chatting with you and i appreciate your time
0: No problem, Ken. Thanks for having me. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.